Lord, we thank you that you are our vision. God, that no matter what transpires, that you're still with us, that you still hear us. So, Lord, today, God has become into your presence. Lord, we ask that you would continue to guide us, continue to pour out your vision on us, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That which we cannot see in the flesh, Lord, we want to see it in the spirit. So we ask that you be with us now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, um, it's good to see you. I'm glad that you joined us today. Uh, glad that you joined us for worship. I know that it's um, it's not the same as uh, being in the church, um, but it's the same spirit. It's the same God. So we are uh, thankful for the opportunity to be with each other, even if just virtually. And there's no distance in the spirit, right? The spirit of God unites all believers through all space and all time. So we're happy that you're here with us today. I want to share with you. <laughs> my baby has something to share with you. too. Uh, but I want to share with you um, a word that one of our council members, Christy Michelson, uh, gave to me the other day. And uh, it was a word that she felt like God was, told her to write down. And I want to read it to you. Um, it's something that uh, is really in line with what I feel like the Spirit of God is saying this morning to us and uh, my sermon. This is what she felt like the Lord was saying. A time, a test, a season, a time apart, a shaking of the world. I am the Lord. Is there another, any other? Progress grows. Things will move forward. You know, life will not look exactly like we want it always to look like. But will I find Daniel's? And that's the passage we're going to be reading today is Daniel 6, 10. The system takes captive my people. They work in a world run by worldly powers. Will I have a remnant? Those that set themselves apart from me, though they see the situation, will they keep their eyes and heart fixed and focused on me? Uh, as I was talking to Christy about this, she reminded me of um, Peter being called out on the waves. And as Peter is locking eyes with Jesus, he's walking on the water, doing the supernatural, entering into places where there should be imminent death. But supernaturally, he's able to sustain by keeping his eyes focused on Jesus. And the moment that he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and begins to look around, look to the left or the right, look at uh, the waves, look at the wind blowing the waves. He begins to sink and he cries out to Jesus to save him, which, of course, he does. But if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, we'll be able to enter into even impossible situations and see the miraculous happen. Remember, my kingdom is not of this world. Come seek my face. Seek to hear me. The bride makes herself ready out of Revelation 19. Are you ready? Are we ready? Are we walking in this? Though you live in the world, don't let the world love you. have you. I love you. Draw near to me. A horse wears blinders to block out distractions. Let the word of God be your blinders and the Lord will strengthen you. Let the word of God be your blinders and the Lord will strengthen you. I was thinking this last week, um, you know, and there's uh, so much information out there. We're living in an information age, right? And there's so many opinions and so many 
uh, different people vying for attention, vying for uh, a voice. And what they're really looking for is the ability to name truth. They want to be able to tell you exactly what's happening, uh, whether it's their opinion or whether it's uh, given by somebody who knows more than them. They want to tell you the truth. Guys, I want to tell you something. The word of God has stood the test of time. The word of God was around before the coronavirus hit. The word of God was around before 100 years ago. The word of God has been around for thousands and thousands of years, and it has provided a bedrock of truth for human civilization over centuries, over millennia. So when we start our days, when we go about our business and we're listening to all these people trying to deliver us truth, trying to tell us how it is or what the world is like, anything like that, are we going to this solid rock first? Are we going to this first and allowing this to demonstrate, to show us, to be the canon, to be the ruler, to be the measurement by which we gauge truth? Or are we allowing somebody else or something else to tell us what truth is? Let me tell you something. I trust people to a certain extent, but I don't trust people like I trust the word of God. When the word of God speaks, when the word of God speaks truth, I trust in that. So I want to just encourage you uh, as we're going out uh, in our days, as we're going out through our weeks, lean into the word of God for truth. Allow the word of God to be the guide of truth for your life. So that was a word that Christy gave uh, just a few days ago, and it felt uh, I felt like I needed to share it with you. I hope that it was encouraging for you. And it also has to do with um, the next sort of series that we're going to be talking about, the uh, next series I'm going to be preaching. The series I'm going to be preaching is on exile. Um, and in a sense, we are a people in exile, not, uh, not as dramatic as a sense as we see in Scripture, um, but the isolation, the fear, the sense of um, the world kind of closing in, those kind of things are very much a part of our world today. So we're going to be talking about exile. I'm going to be talking about different, be reading different passages and preaching different sermons about the exile that Israel faced um, to learn from them and to learn uh, about what God is doing during this time. So if you would open up with me to, to Daniel 6. Daniel was written... Uh, during the period of exile, I have like, I have like so many cough drops next to me. <laughs> I have like a whole mountain. I could open up a cough drop store. <clears throat> it's just my throat. Don't worry. I'm not sick. It's just, I have a lot of talking and singing and stuff. Where's on you? All right. But if you open up to Daniel six, Daniel is a book that was written, uh, during the exile and Daniel came to personify um, in scripture and for the Jews living there in this time period, his character, his um, story came to personify the ideal Jew during exile. Daniel did everything right during exile. Not everybody did. Exile is difficult. Even during this coronavirus thing, it's difficult, right? Some people are faring better than others. Am I right? So Daniel was the one who fared the best of his time and his place during exile. So we're going to look at Daniel and say, how did Daniel do it? Can we do something similar? Can we, uh, you know, can we follow in his footsteps? So we're in Daniel 6. Uh, take some time this week to read for chapters 1 through 5. Um, and I'm just going to kind of summarize. I'm only going to read one verse because I'm going to preach on one verse out of this story uh, that really stuck out to me. It's a verse that Christy mentioned as well. But I'm going to summarize what's happened up until this point. So, uh the exile came about because the Babylonians, well, what it really happened was Israel 
decided to forget God. They decided to rebel against God, to follow after other religions, other gods. And a series of wars occurred. Uh, foreign powers coming from the north, the Assyrian Empire came down and took out Israel, which is the northern kingdom. And then after uh, a few decades, few hundred years, the Babylonian Empire came down and subdued um, Judah, which was the remaining uh, uh, land of the United Kingdom of David. And they basically made it into a tribute nation, which means you pay us, it's like a mafia. You pay us a protection fee. We'll make sure, you know, nothing bad happens to you. But if you don't pay it, you know, somebody's going to be coming knocking at your door and uh, there's going to be trouble. And Israel paid this protection fee for a while. And then for uh, a number of reasons, some of which was relying on Pharaoh, believing in other governments that they were going to come and save them. Judah decided they're not going to pay the fee anymore to the Babylonians. And after that, the Babylonians came and completely decimated uh, Jerusalem. They burned down the temple. Um, they took all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and they took them back to Babylon. And that's the second exile. That's the, the exile where the whole nation was now scattered. It would have taken several months to travel from Jerusalem to Babylon. And Daniel and his friends are, are some of the people who get taken. They're some of the people who, who get taken back to Babylon. Several months, they're talking about uh, almost the the trip from the east to the west coast, if you think about the settlers and prairies and that kind of thing. That's the same kind of distance, except for you don't have um, covered wagons. You're walking on foot. So it took months to get back to Babylon. And a lot of people, I'm sure, when they reached Babylon, a lot of the Jews felt to themselves, there's no way we're making that journey again. This is it. We're going to live and die in Babylon. Psalm 137, if you want to read it, you can write that down. It's written as the Israelites are making this journey. It's written uh, in, the, in the first person as the Israelites are making the journey. And, one of the, and the psalmist says this. He says, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought about Jerusalem. Later, he says, how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? That's the question of the exile. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? What does it mean to worship God when there is no temple? What does it mean to worship God when we can't go to church? What does it mean to worship God from the uh, sanctity of our own homes? How do we do this? Does it work? Uh, there's a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers very upset about this whole thing. Uh, you know, not being able to meet in churches. I completely understand. I wish we could meet in churches. Um, but the reality is that's not where we're at right now. And I'm not going to sit around and complain about um, why is it that we can't have church inside of a church building. I'm going to spend that time figuring out how to worship God where I'm at. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not going to wait around until things get better. I'm going to say, how do we make things better with what we got right now? Life has given us lemons right now, guys. We're making lemonade. I'm not sitting there wondering why we didn't get apples. So we're going to figure this out together. And this is, uh, this is going to help us today, this story. Now, Daniel, Daniel got lucky in exile. He got a government job. Right. If you can get a government job, get a government job. job. Government jobs are always secure. They're always good. Good pension, uh, good insurance. Daniel got a government job and it was good government job too. pretty high up. He had kind of worked his way up. You can read Daniel one through five, worked his way up through the ranks. And now he's in a decent position. He's an administrator. Uh, man, he's he's got it made. Uh, people during this time, period, a lot of Jews didn't have as good of a job as Daniel did. They were working the farms, of the Babylonians. They were essentially in, in servitude. Uh, to the Babylonians. 
um, and separated from one another, separate from uh, the sort of conventional ways of doing religion. So Daniel got kind of lucky in that. Well, he got blessed in it. And as he's kind of raised, rising in power, he realizes, or the people around him that are sort of serving with him, his, his comrades, are realizing they're kind of watching Daniel rise in power, and they're getting a little jealous of him. This Jew who should be kind of serving us, right? He's a part of a conquered nation. Now, all of a sudden, he's he's getting up there. He's doing pretty well in this administrative job. And he's kind of actually, he's got his eyes set on some high government positions. And so some of the other, uh, some of the other people working for the government at the time, they say, we got to do something about this Daniel guy. We can't allow this guy to, to go up like this. We got to do something about him. And they realized they can't get him for any kind of corruption or anything. The guy's, the guy's straight as an arrow. What they can, the only they say, the only thing we can get him on, the only, if we were going to get him on anything, what we could get him on is that he he worships his God a lot. He obeys the law of his Lord. So if we could find some way to get him on that, we'll get him easy. So they come up with this plan, and and you might have you might know about this. I don't know how much of this book you've read. You've probably read it a million times. But this plan is basically they go to Darius, they go to the emperor, um, the leader of Babylon at the time, and they say. Oh, Darius, you're so wonderful. You should make a law that says for the next month, people can only pray to you and nobody else. And Darius, being a very conceited person, apparently says, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, I'm not sure what sort of level of pride you'd have to have to have everybody in your nation pray to you for 30 days. But, uh, you know, I don't know what the point is, right? You're not going to know what they're praying. It's not like if you pray to Darius, that he's going to show up at your door and help you with whatever problem you were praying about so i'm not exactly sure about you know but it was a sit it was basically a deification of this man right it's this it's glorification of the romans did the same thing uh other nations have done the same thing the glorification of your government leader of your of your country of your empire and uh obviously this isn't going to go well with daniel isn't going to go well with him uh but the risk is they say darius this is the law everybody has to pray to you for the next 30 days if they don't do it you throw them to lions and then, you know, the lions will have their way with them. So that's the law. Uh, and now we come to Daniel 6.10. All right. Daniel's a part of the administration. He's a part of the government. He's heard about this. Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. I'm going to read that again. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. His enemies assumed that this decree, this law, would cripple Daniel's devotional life. They assumed that they would destroy his spiritual life. They wanted to capitalize on the situation that Daniel found himself in, isolated away from Jerusalem, in a foreign land, surrounded by people whose belief system doesn't match his. They wanted to capitalize on his fear. They wanted to capitalize on his isolation. So they made this decree. But Daniel went home. Daniel went home. He didn't go to his hair salon, right? He didn't stop by the bar. He didn't go to the city park. He certainly didn't go to his local church. He went home. 
He was on a mission, and he knew that the place to fulfill this mission was his own house. I saw a tweet the other day uh, that said, for once in the history of humanity, the world can be saved by sitting in your pajamas and watching television. Don't mess this up. <laughs> but Daniel's on a mission. He had a purpose. He had something in his mind he had to do. He went home. Like Daniel, our enemy is attempting to capitalize on our fears. Let me tell you something. There was much rejoicing in the presence of Satan and his cronies when the coronavirus began to spread. They began to say, oh, good. This is wonderful. This is exactly what we've been looking for, right? We'll get these people isolated. They'll stop meeting together. We're going to get them afraid. They're going to start reacting out of fear. They're going to start suspecting their neighbors. They're going to start hoarding things. This is perfect. Fear will increase. But what the enemy didn't suspect, what the enemy didn't realize is that this fear, this virus would in fact draw Daniel to his knees and surrender, but not surrender to them. No, this virus would draw Daniel to his knees and surrender to God. Instead of leading to Daniel's death and desolation, this very decree is going to eventually lead to Daniel's ascension to the highest rank in the kingdom. The devil wants to capitalize on the situation we find ourselves in, ladies and gentlemen, but we are not going to let him do so. We refuse to let him do so. And the way that we stop him from letting do so is but we don't allow him to rule our mind, our heart, or our actions. Instead, Daniel went home. He had a purpose. He had a mission in his mind. Daniel's not going to allow the deteriorating social and political situation of his world affect his actions. He's going to go home. He's going to let his faith dictate his actions, not his feelings. Today, we live in a feeling-driven culture. If it feels right, then do it, right? Let me tell you something. That sort of mentality leads to destruction. First of all, it's the destruction of my waistline. <laughs> my wife made some banana bread the other day. What feels right to me is to sit down and eat every single piece of that banana bread. Wouldn't be good for my body. Wouldn't be good for my relationship with my children. But also doing what you feel like instead of acting on faith can destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your family. It'll destroy your community. It'll destroy this world. We don't act out of our feelings. We act out of faith. Daniel went home. He was living by faith. And let me tell you something. You have an opportunity right now, just like Daniel did. You have an opportunity. You can give in to fear. You can give in to conspiracy. You can give in to doubt. You can give in to the threats that you hear whispered. You can draw yourself away from your family and your friends. You can give in to that. But that is not what God wants us to do. Daniel went home. He went home with a purpose. He wasn't acting out of fear. He wasn't afraid. He had a purpose in his mind. He had a mission to complete. He wasn't retreating. He was going to war. He knew that the only way to overcome impossible odds was by teaming up with the possible God. We serve a God who makes the impossible possible. And when the world begins to close in on him, Daniel decides he needs help. He needs somebody bigger on his side. So he goes home. The miracle of Daniel's story is not God uh, sealing up the mouths of the lions and saving Daniel the lions. No, the miracle of the story is that a man surrounded by enemies in a foreign land who had every reason to fear for his life, who had every reason to hold on to what he had, who had every reason to, to glory in the position that he was in, refused to allow his life to be dictated by his feelings or his fear and instead acted out of faith. 
and went home on a mission. That's a miracle. That is a miracle. I know that people have been asking about miracles. We ask about miracles all the time. God, would you heal this person? God, would you stop this event? God, would you stop this coronavirus? I want to tell you something. If God stopped the coronavirus, where would the miracles be of doctors and nurses walking into dangerous situations where they might be seeing death, but they're doing it anyways because the spirit of God is upon them? That's a miracle right there. If God stopped the coronavirus today, where would the miracle be of somebody who feels like they're isolated, somebody who feels like they're shut away, somebody who all they want to do is sit in a room by themselves, but instead they reach out to their neighbor. Instead, they pick up a phone and call somebody. Why? Because God is moving on their spirit. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Don't discount those things. Just because you aren't seeing it doesn't mean it's not a miracle. It's a miracle that Daniel went home with a purpose. He went home with a purpose. Every time you venture out to buy groceries, every time you see somebody walking around without a mask on, every time your kids start to bother you because they've been cooped up in the house for a month, every time you feel the pressure of our crazy world breathing down your neck, go home with a purpose. Go home with a purpose. Remind yourself that your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against viruses. It's not against politicians. It's not against your government. Your battle is waged, what? Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle. And in this battle, your primary weapon is prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't give you better instruction than that. I've been saying this for a long time, and it's so nice to say it today with even more force. I can't help you, but God can. You need the God of the impossible on your side. You need to go home and pray. Prayer orients us towards God. It reminds us that there's someone else whose power and authority and purpose is greater than the circumstances that we're seeing. Prayer reminds us to act out of faith and not out of feeling. We serve a God who is able to do the impossible, a God who is able to do the impossible. We humans, we have short memories. Very short memories. Uh, I can't remember what I ate yesterday for breakfast. I think it was an egg and something else. We have very short memories. It's terrible uh, how short our memories are. And so many people living their lives today in fear have short memories about how God has brought them through difficult times in the past. How God has redeemed your life over and over and over again. But all of a sudden, a new calamity comes in that just goes out of our minds. Last week, our church applied for a small business loan through the uh, through the uh, package, through the stimulus package that was passed. And they were giving out small business loans to uh, nonprofits. So we say, yes, let's uh, let's sign up for this. We'll get a small, it's fully forgivable, great for our church. Uh, and what happened was our bank, God bless them, uh, they developed their own form that they wanted us to fill out. Well, they didn't put it online until just a few days ago. So by the time we submitted our application, I got an email back. On Thursday, it said, uh, we're sorry, but the funds have all been used up and and we're hoping that they give out more. And I got that sinking feeling in my stomach, you know, uh, where you see an opportunity and then it goes by and you think, man, oh, really could have used that. Nuts. And I was downhearted for about a half a second. And then I started to laugh. I, cu- I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. God has seen us through so many different trials. 
This church should have shut down a long time ago. There's no way a church our size should give thousands and thousands of dollars to missions every year. We do that because God lets us do it. We're still in business because God's in business with us. We're doing his ministry. And it's just amazing to me that even I, knowing the history of our church, knowing the ups and the downs, knowing the times when the squeeze has been on and and yet God has been faithful and has brought us through all those things. Even I, in that moment, had a, had a, had a, had a split second of downheartedness as I forgot, as I forgot the great, wonderful mercy and faithfulness of our Lord who has brought us through so many trials and will bring us through so many more. I couldn't believe it. I wish I could blame it on old age, but I can't. It's, it's a tragedy. We have such short memories. Uh, I, I told our district supervisor the other day, uh, w- a little while ago, I, I, when I told him that we had just replaced our roof for cash. And he looked at me and he goes, really? You guys did that? Man, God has blessed us so much. He has brought us through so much. How? Of course he's going to bring us through all of this. Of course. Think over your life right now. Think over the times. Think over the circumstances that he's brought you through. Really take some time to honestly think about that. Think about it. What has God brought you through in your life? Write it down. I want you to actually take a pen. I'm I'm totally serious. I'm not being hypothetical here. Grab a pen. Grab a pencil. Do it right now. Grab a piece of paper. Grab a napkin. Write down one thing. Start with one thing. What is something that God has pulled you through? Something that you thought you were, there's no way you're going to get to the other side of this. But God pulled you through. Write it down right now. We need to remind ourselves that God is faithful. We have a life song in this church. I hope you have a life song. I have a life song. Uh, But our church has a life song. It's a song that embodies who we are. And I wish uh, Jim Huffman were here in my living room and he could bang it out on the piano, on the keyboard for us. Uh, The song is Great Is Thy Faithfulness. I think at the end we might might just sing uh, one of the verses or the chorus or something. But great is thy faithfulness. That is our song. That's our life song as a church because God has been so faithful to us. He's seen us through so many things. And you know what? If I had to put my trust in a loan or in a job or in a uh, in anything else or I put it in God, I tell you what, 10 times out of 10, I will put it in God because God is going to see us through. He's going to see you through. He's going to see you through this. Okay. God is going to see us through. He's coming with a brighter day tomorrow. We need to remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. And this is why Daniel, he goes home with a purpose. And what does he do? He doesn't pray first, does he? He goes up to his upstairs room, it says. And he opens his windows towards Jerusalem. Towards Jerusalem. Oh my goodness, I wonder what it felt like for him to be in that upper room. To open your windows towards Jerusalem. The city where the temple still is smoking. The city where the walls are destroyed. The city where homes have been destroyed, where so many people had died. The city where God had promised that there would always be a king on David's throne. And now all of a sudden it was vacant. I wonder what it was like for Daniel to open his windows and look towards Jerusalem. But do you know why he did it? To remind himself. To remind himself that the God he serves is faithful. To remind himself of the promises that God spoke over that city. To remind himself that God has a brighter tomorrow. To remind himself 
that it's not always going to be like this. There's going to come a day when we'll return again to Jerusalem, the city of promise. And Daniel looked out. He looked out over that city. He saw it in his heart. He saw the ruins of it. And let me tell you something. Your life might look like a war zone right now. Outside, it may look like a war zone, but God is concocting a peace plan. Outside, it might look like rubble, but God has a plan to rebuild. And it's going to be greater and it's going to be bigger than it was before. Do not give up hope because we serve a God who is able to do far and more, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or even imagine. Daniel says outside, it looks like Good Friday. But in his heart, he knows Resurrection Sunday is coming. Let me tell you something. Outside, it might look like Good Friday. But know this, there's a Resurrection Sunday, and it's coming on its way. Scripture says Daniel went home. He went straight upstairs. He opened the windows that faced Jerusalem. And we need to do that same thing. What is it in your life? What's the Jerusalem in your life? What's the promise that God has spoken over your heart? What's the thing that God has promised you? What's the faithfulness of God? What's the story that you can speak out about God's faithfulness? Paul says, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is true, whatever is just and honorable, think about those things. Put those things in your mind. Remind yourself of those things. Open your windows towards Jerusalem so that you can remind yourself of the promises of God. God is going to fulfill his promises Let them stand before you so that when the promise comes and fulfillment comes, you won't be surprised at all. People around you will say, how did it work? People around you will say, how did you do it? People around you will say, I thought that you were a goner. But you'll say, I knew God was going to fulfill his promises. I had my eyes fixed on Jerusalem. I had my eyes fixed on the faithfulness of God. He went upstairs. He opened his windows. And then three times a day, it says, He got down on his knees and he began to pray to give thanks to God, just as he had always done. There's something to be said about a consistent lifestyle of prayer. I was just talking to a few people uh, yesterday about Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey, of course, is a financial guru, is a financial uh, uh, advisor. And he got onto his show uh, a little while ago. He'd always been telling people, For years, for decades, he's been telling people, keep six to nine months of savings in your bank account because you never know when something's going to happen and you're going to need it. And now during this time, as people are going to their savings account, Dave Ramsey got on the radio and he said, you know, I'm not going to tell you I told you so. He said, the bad news is if you didn't start saving earlier, it's not going to help you today. The bad news is if you hadn't already developed a lifestyle of saving, you can't reap the benefits of it today. But the good news is you can start today for tomorrow. You can start today. And let me tell you guys, it's too late to reap a lifestyle of prayer and devotion and scripture. It's too late to reap the benefit of peace that you might be experiencing right now. But it is not too late to start today. The good news is you can start today. The good news is a lifestyle change can begin even today. Take some time every single day. Brothers and sisters, every single day, take some time to pray, to read your Bible, to press into God. We have daily devotionals going on four times a week. Jump in on those. That's four out of seven days. That's easy. Then three out of seven days, 
Spend some time reading the scriptures, praying, getting into the presence of God. That is what you need to do in order to establish a lifestyle of prayer like what Daniel has here. You can start today, friends. We have a church with some young believers in it. Uh, you know, not everybody in our church has been a Christian for a long time. Some of us are younger in age and some of us are younger in our faith. And I want to tell you something. I want to speak specifically to the people who feel like uh, you're just kind of getting into this thing. I want to say something to you. Today marks the beginning of a trial by fire for you. And this is a difficult time to hold on to hope. It's a difficult time to hold on to faith. It's a difficult time to cultivate peace in your life right now. But if you can establish the habits of these things, if you can establish seeking God out right now in your walk, at this point in your walk, if you can start establishing those habits now, if you can go through this trial by fire now, you will reap a far greater reward in 20 years than somebody who was able to have their faith handed to them on a platter uh, for the last decade. So seek the Lord. If you're young in your faith, especially today is the day to begin that you will reap the benefits of a trial by fire. I was in Seattle um, uh, serving as a on staff there at a church in Seattle. And I remember one summer, the pastor had to take a sabbatical. He was, he had overextended himself. He had to take a sabbatical. And so I was given the reins of, of this church. I was 23 years old. I didn't have a pastoral license. I had no formal theological or biblical training whatsoever. Uh, we had no staff. I was getting married that summer. Um, and I took the reins of this church. <laughs> and I remember walking into church on Sunday. And, uh, you know, people begin to filter in. And I remember this sort of alarm bells going off in my, in my brain. And the thought kind of rising out of the gloom of my mind, which was, this is it, brother. You are the last line of defense in this place. If you don't preach, if you don't direct, if you don't lead, if you don't take the reins of this church, ain't nobody else going to do it. And I realized that there was nobody else to turn to that I could say, hey, <laughs> you need to do this, not me. I was the one. I was the one that they had, but not the one that they deserved, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think about that church. God bless that church. If any of those people are listening, I, I feel for that poor congregation as I led those short months. But I want to tell you something. I learned more in those brief in that brief period about what pastoral ministry is all about than I ever could have with years of experience. I'm telling you, it was the fastest orientation. It was a trial by fire. And I picked up a lot. I learned a lot during that time. Young Christian, I don't care if you've been saved for a week. I don't care if you're 12 years old. I don't care if you're on the fence with this whole God thing. I don't know. I don't care if you still have doubts. If you decide during this time to press into God, if you decide during this trial to press into him, I'm telling you what, you are going to reap the benefits of having a trial by fire. Try to cultivate hope in a period of hopelessness. Man, when everybody's happy around you, when everybody's hopeful, when everybody's full of faith around you, it's just like summer camp, you know? Man, people go to summer camp. Oh, it's easy to be a Christian at summer camp. Man, you got people waking up in the morning, taking you to church. You're eating breakfast and lunch and dinner surrounded by Christians. You got people praying for you 24-7. You're, you're doing worship three times a day. Summer camp, man, you can be a Christian summer camp all your life. 
Anybody could be a, a summer camp Christian. An atheist could be a summer camp Christian. The trouble is when you get back home from summer camp, uh, now you're surrounded by people they don't know Jesus. Now you're surrounded by people they don't know worship. They don't want to do worship the way that you want to do worship. Now you're surrounded by, you ain't surrounded by people who want to do Bible study 24-7. You're surrounded by people who want your time, they want your money, they want your energy 24-7. Now what are you going to do? Now it's much harder to be a Christian, but the kind of Christian that summer camps produce is the kind of Christian that flourishes real quick, but its roots are very weak. The kind of Christian that a trial produces, the kind of Christian that persecution produces, the kind of Christian that exile and isolation and hopelessness produces is the kind of Christian who up on the surface, you might not see a lot of growth, but down below there is roots that dig down deep that are able to access water during drought. That's the kind of Christian that God is looking to develop. And if you're a new Christian or if you're on the fence with God, lean in because God wants to develop that kind of faith in you today. Daniel could have given into fear. He could have caught the first camel out of town. He could have run to the king. He could have explained everything, but he went home instead. He could have stopped praying. He could have closed up his windows. He could have prayed in his basement, but he didn't. He threw open his windows. He looked towards the city of Jerusalem, and he heard the words of Isaiah, where it says, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on the high hill. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the God everlasting, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faith. Daniel looked out to Jerusalem and his heart saw the hope that his eyes could not behold. And he began to give thanks to God. His heart saw what his eyes could not. And he began to give thanks to God. And so now what we're going to do is I'm going to play through a song. And I want you, wherever you are right now, whether you're in your house, whether you're in your car, wherever you are, if you're in your office, I want you to spend some time giving thanks to God. We're going to.